I have heard plenty of people tell me there are several redeeming aspects of Alien 4 that I need to prepare myself for. Like, like I need to know. Like, no. Welcome back to GC8. I'm Eric. I'm Rosie. And Johanna. We're doing Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection. Yes, that is correct. We are doing Alien cubed and alien <laughs> resurrection this is true alien cubed <laughs> why did they have to do that superscript three because to me that's not alien three that's alien cubed i don't know i still wonder why they did alien and then aliens and then alien cubed well from looking at the poster the tagline is three times the suspense three times the danger three times the terror so three things times three I guess cubed? Cubed. It's entertainment cubed. <laughs> well, we'll talk about if it was three times the entertainment, three times the danger, and three times the... Terror. <laughs> oh, yeah. We will definitely talk about whether it was three times the terror. Um, <laughs> so I'm just going to go on record as saying alien cubed is a pet peeve of mine. Not as much as Halloween water. <laughs> Halloween water really made me mad. Like Halloween <laughs> H2O... That, I was like, that is the worst. That is the worst. That is the worst. Halloween water. That sounds like but, something a little kid would call orange Kool-Aid. What are you drinking, son? I'm drinking Halloween water. <laughs> I'm here all day. I'm here all day. Well, since you're here all day, why don't you tell us what you've been up to since the last time we spoke? Oh, gosh. Well, first of all, I'm sorry that I've been gone. Um, we uh, just moved into a new place and then we all got sick. So um, <laughs> it's been it's been quite the journey uh, in the in the in the uh, period that that, you know, we've been gone because we cleared out a, an old house and moved into a new place. Um, and it was a it was a bigger job than we expected. And we basically bought ourselves a month to do that. And um and then my family came down with COVID and that was not fun. We're all uh, recovering, including myself, but I'm definitely on the other side of it and on the mend now. So very thankful for that. And I'm glad I'm able to be here today. So I don't know when our listeners will be hearing this, but we are recording it in late 2020 at the height of the COVID pandemic in the United States. Mm -hmm. Johanna, how about you since last time? Uh, since last time, uh, over the course of the 12 days or so in between, I quit my job and am taking a new job. Uh, I applied, had interviews, and got hired all within the last two weeks. So uh, very exciting new development. I'm leaving my programming post at the Hopkins Center Film Program to go work on the sales team for Eventive. Uh, the up-and-coming virtual event platform. And I'm excited about doing work with other colleges and universities and also film festivals. In our last podcast, we talked about how Disney acquired the Alien franchise in the Fox buyout last year. Since then, it's been announced that Marvel is in fact launching an Aliens comic series. So hopefully my dream of seeing an Aliens crossover with the X-Men and Guardians of the Galaxy will happen on the big screen. Who knows? Oh, that also, would be amazing. <laughs> the other thing that has been announced is an Alien 
streaming show that will probably be on Disney Plus. It takes place on Earth. So maybe they will get access to Aliens Book One and make that into a show because it does take place on Earth. It's called Earth War. Aliens Book One, I raved about in a previous podcast. So I'm not going to talk about that again. I also read Aliens Book Two. Basically, they kind of ripped off George Romero's Day of the Dead. The military has aliens and they're planning to use them. They're trying to train them. Much like in Day of the Dead, there's this military enclave that's trying to train zombies after a zombie apocalypse. So same idea. They almost lifted it directly, but it's good. Uh, And the artwork, the first couple of issues isn't great, but it really grew on me. Aliens Book 2 is called Nightmare Asylum. And Aliens Book 3 is called The Female War. It was also good. Not as good as the first two, Aliens Book 1 and Aliens Book 2. And I also listened to the audio drama based on the William Gibson screenplay for Alien 3. So my question is, Johanna, what the hell went wrong with all (laughs) this great source material to choose from? Why is Alien 3 the movie that we got. Well, you cited a few excellent ideas that could have gone into Alien 3, but instead we ended up with production hell based upon people being unable to settle on a story. Ridley Scott was actually first tapped to direct Alien 3, and he was interested in a storyline that involved Ripley going to the alien homeworld to try to fight them there. And we talked about that being one of the possible storylines that came out of this alternate content. They didn't want to go with that idea, so Ridley Scott left the project. The second guy that they brought in that they wanted to direct, Rennie Harlan, who we would know from Nightmare on Elm Street 4 and Die Hard 2, the lesser of the diehards, but still decent action film. And he also wanted to do a storyline where Ripley goes to the alien homeworld, but this was deemed to be too expensive and unfilmable. At the time that the film was made, most of the special effects still had to be based on real life materials, so they were going to have to build the alien homeworld. They didn't have the CGI technology we have now. If this film were being made today, we may have actually seen an adaptation of the storyline taking us to the alien homeworld with the CGI effects that we have now. But deemed too expensive (laughs) for the 90s. So instead, they got a new storyline from writer Vincent Ward, who hadn't really done anything notable up to this point, but did go on to write The Last Samurai, which was fairly acclaimed. And he proposed a monk-like society on a planet-sized wooden ship floating in space. And they actually got far enough along on this idea where they started building this wooden ship planet. And then at some point, he was unable to defend the idea any longer. No one could understand why this needed to be a wooden ship in space or sort of what, what he was doing with this idea. And tensions mounted between Fox and Ward and he left the project. So, in comes David Fincher, who up until now had only made music videos and commercials. This was going to be his feature film debut, and he continued to refine and work on the script as they were filming it. So, even when they started production and started shooting, they still really had no idea where the story was going, 
Fincher being an absolute perfectionist and very fastidious with details, got hung up on shooting some of the gore and, you know, like the exploding head, like over and over again, trying to get the blood spatter right and the color of the blood. And a lot of the energy and creative thinking went into some of that more detail-oriented features, like the look of the film, than it did into the actual plot. So consequently, Fincher's version ended up being a three-hour film. And I know we're going to talk about the two different cuts later, but his version ended up drawing out because they didn't really know where the film was going. So (laughs) the studio decided that Fincher showed a lot of talent, but they used Alien 3 to break his spirit in order to make him a more cooperative director for the future. So Fox stood in and disagreed and shut down a lot of his major creative ideas for the vision of the film. The result is a film that shows a lot of promise and a bold design, but ultimately doesn't hold together and is 30 minutes shorter than Fincher's original version. The only reason why David Fincher didn't see his career completely fold after this debut is because Sigourney Weaver actually agreed with a lot of his artistic choices, and she stuck up for him in front of Fox and with other colleagues. And also, he managed, while he was working on the film, to catch the attention of another producer, Arnold Coppelson, who took a shine to him and hired him to direct Seven in 1995. And You can see traces of Fincher's trademark nihilism (laughs) and interesting coloring of the film, but his career didn't really take off until after Seven. I am a Fincher fan. I really like his movies. That said, Alien 3 is not one of my favorite films (laughs) of Fincher's, nor is it one of my favorite Aliens films. Don't get me wrong. I still like this film. I think it's got some really cool ideas in it. It's definitely the most dark in the alien canon. And that that says a lot, but it does seem like they were like, okay, we're going to have this take place on a mining colony. And no, no, we're going to have this take place in a monastic monk order. No, no, we're going to have this take place on a prison planet. Well, which is it, you know? (laughs) Right. It does show a lot of fingerprints all over it. And and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I didn't find why they hired him other than that he had a very distinctive style. He had about 20 short films under his belt. And after going through tried and true directors, I mean, Ridley Scott and others who had action films under their belt, they went for Fincher because they were looking for a bold new look for alien and that Sigourney was not interested in doing like yet another I'm trapped on a ship with the aliens. She was looking for something that was going to be interesting for her character and she believed in Fincher as far as I could see. She got paid a fair chunk of change for this film also. The original budget for the film was $45 million and of that $5.5 million of it was Sigourney Weaver's salary. Of course, Ultimately, because of all the reshooting, the film ended up costing $65 million. And it, domestically, it only raked in 55 
but it was enough of a hit internationally that it still managed to be one of the most financially successful of the Alien films, bringing in a total of $159.8 million. Although both Ridley Scott and James Cameron were at the beginning of their career, they had directed feature films before coming to, to the Alien franchise. Fincher had not. There was a trend in the 80s and 90s to snatch up young directors coming out of basically MTV, thinking, oh, they're, you know, they're hip and young and they'll, they can connect with the kids. And, you know, most of these directors were terrible because making a music video and making a feature film are completely different. Everything about them is different. Music video has a lot more in common or could have often does have a lot more in common with video art than it does storytelling. Uh, not always the case, but usually. And I think that's apparent in this film. I mean, it's actually, it's funny to imagine Alien 3 as a music video instead of as a feature film, that it creates an atmosphere. You get the very interesting camera angles. A lot of the film shot from below or tight close-ups where you don't see the entire person's face. The camera moves around a lot. A lot of sort of trademark styles that you would associate more with music video than with a typical feature. I actually associate it a lot with film noir, which is, of course, another Fincher trademark. So with Ridley Scott, you got a horror film an outright horror film. With James Cameron, you got an action film. With Fincher, you get suspense thriller. And that's both to the film's credit and its detriment. What, what, what are our three, three times? Suspense, danger, and terror. Remember, we talked about how James Cameron pitched the sequel to Alien as Aliens. If one alien is great, <laughs> Aliens, multiple aliens is even better. <laughs> so you would expect that Aliens 3 would have three times the aliens, but it actually has only one alien in it for most of the film that they have to deal with, which I can respect. It would have been easy to go, okay, we need even more aliens overrunning this prison, but just one alien well done in a prison could be a good challenge. The problem is, I don't know about you guys, I was never scared. When I realized that the alien wasn't even going to touch Ripley, I stopped being scared. And I actually stopped being scared moving into Alien Resurrection too. I meant to bring that up, that, that, that as soon as we knew the alien wouldn't kill Ripley, then it's not scary anymore. Two things. One, there is a moment in the film that is very scary, which is when the prison inmates are going to rape Ripley. Yes. That's terrifying. It was a terrifying scene. It was shot convincingly. And I was really afraid for her, especially since the film is gory enough in the beginning with, you know, the crashing of, of the ship and how Newt and Hicks are killed. I was prepared to see something that was going to be horrifying and disgusting. And like, I didn't expect it to be very graphic, but I believed it could happen. And mm -hmm. That made it scary. But I don't know how much time we want to talk about that piece of it other than to say, I think the film was trying to draw out this sense of horror at human behavior as much as with the alien. But other than that scene, I feel like the prisoners all come across as 
very sympathetic other than that one scene. And so the horror of human nature doesn't come through in this film nearly as much as it does in Seven, for instance, <laughs> just thinking about Fincher's ideas and aesthetic. Right. I agree with you. I take back what I said about scary scenes. The near rape was scary, but none of that scenes with the alien was anywhere close to that. I think it also fails on the prisoner front that if you're going to have a prison planet, like these guys are so bad, you're going to spend money to like send them to a different planet. You're expecting they're going to be the worst of the worst. You know, they're going to be really bad and they generally did turn out to be more sympathetic. Yeah, they did. And in one thing I, I was like, oh, so this is kind of an kind of like an Australia situation where this is in planet where they shipped off a bunch of prisoners to do a bunch of prison labor. And the storyline behind that was kind of muddled because it's a prison planet, but it turned into a cult. And now they're just custodians of the prison planet, but it's still a prison planet because there's like a prison warden. So it was very confusing, but the scary part for me was how they were emphasizing, like, don't bring Ripley out amongst the prison population. Ripley certainly shouldn't be going through there alone. When they first started talking about this in the film, I was like, oh, okay, there's, so there's a chance that there's going to be some sort of a rapey scene here, and sure enough, there was. The near rape or rape scene is another motif we see throughout Fincher's stuff. It's the girl with the dragon tattoo. It's in Seven. Yeah. One of the reasons I really have a negative reaction to this film and that a lot of fans did is honestly, Newt and Hicks deserved better. They were killed off in the credit sequence. Some of yeah. the marine grunts and aliens get more time for their death scenes than that. Michael Bean was actually really upset about this. He had heard a rumor that they had made a body cast of him to use in this opening scene and Fincher called to ask permission to use it and Michael Bean was like, no. So they had to build a new human replica to destroy in that opening sequence. And then apparently, just in order to use Michael Bean's photo in the opening sequence, like the, com you know, the computer readout of what happened to everybody, he got paid more for use of that image in this film than he did for his whole performance in Aliens. Oh my gosh. And he said that like, if he had known that David Fincher was going to turn into David Fincher, he wouldn't have been such an ass about it. But, um, you know, they killed him off. I don't blame him. <laughs> Especially given how many writers they had, they could have come up with a different slash better way to separate Ripley. Maybe her pod launched or whatever and Newt and Hicks are still out in space. They could have separated them. And then we could have had Hicks and Newt be their own story. We could have gotten a Rogue One of the Alien series with Hicks and Newt. That would have made me much more happy than just killing them off before the credits are even done. I was glad that they figured out a way to bring Bishop back into the film. And then, of course, you know, Lance Henriksen playing a completely different sort of character at the end. I remember the first time I saw the film, the surprise of him being someone other than Bishop and this kind of uncanny feeling about that character. I remember the first time I saw it, it did feel cool. Now that I've seen the film a bunch of times, the surprise is gone, so it's hard to remember what that felt like. But that little twist did feel well thought out, at least for his character. While we're on the subject, in the previous films and in the following film, they are referred to as synthetics. This may get retconned now that Blade Runner is part of the universe and they might start calling them replicants, but they call them synthetics. 
except this movie they call them droids which really <laughs> threw me for a loop because that is star wars canon that is not alien canon like droids really do we know why they call them droids in this movie i don't think so <laughs> no idea some, some writer in that chain that didn't know the history of alien threw that in there i guess i don't know it doesn't make sense yeah, or it's like the prisoners have been on the their rock so long that they don't know the real advances. Like maybe it's like a PC culture thing or something where like they used to be called droids and now they're called synthetic humans. Or not and possible now <laughs> not possible because of how long Ripley was in 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 um in cryo sleep between alien and aliens. Oh no, I just meant that the prison is so remote that they are far away from, you know, like cultural norms about what to call who, uh, you know, I don't know. But I think even Ripley uses the term droid in this. I don't know. I'll have I think she did too. I think yeah. she did too. There's another first in the film though. It's the first time that they refer to the um Whalen Utani Corporation out loud. In the previous films, you see the W, you know what company they're talking about, but they always refer to it as the company. This is the first film where they explicitly name the company. You know, in the first two, the role of the company is one of the first things you're hit with in the film. And in this one, you don't really realize the connection between the prison and the company until you're halfway through the film and then you realize like, Oh no, it's the same bad guy we've been dealing with before who's coming back again. Running throughout all this, I've always had a theory that despite the fact that it's this backwards prison planet, there's a Garden of Eden theme going on and Ripley is the one that brings evil into it. She brings in sin, she brings in the serpent, she brings in the aliens and even, spoiler, at her death scene where we see the way that she plunges to her death. Right. Yeah. All of these things seem to suggest a connection, in particular the um, semi-monastic order of the prisoners, suggest a Judeo-Christian interpretation of events. Right. I did notice in the beginning, and I actually had to turn on the closed captions just to make sure that I caught everything right, to tell you the truth, because there's just a sidebar. The sound quality in that film is questionable because there's a lot of sound and stuff, but then when it comes to the dialogue, they kind of mumble. So I had to turn on the closed captioning just to make sure that I caught everything that they were talking about. Let me break in real quick, because I wanted to talk about sound on this. The motion picture sound editors give their own award every year since the 1950s. They gave Alien 3 the best sound editing award for that year. So clearly it was well made. What a lot of people don't know was that Alien 3 was one of the first digitally edited sound films. So they had this opportunity to do quote unquote realistic sound design where it would be like if you were really there and that that would mean that some lines of dialogue you might not hear very well. The idea was baked into it that you might not catch every line just like if you were in a room with people. Mm. And so it can be really frustrating and a lot of people did find it frustrating. The first time I saw this film, mm -hmm. I saw it in surround sound 
and I was blown away. It has some of the best sound I've ever heard on film. Mm-hmm. If you're in a theater with surround sound. Yeah. On home video, especially if you don't have a surround sound system in your house, mm-hmm. it's terrible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, yes. When I heard mm-hmm. it originally, there are little noises in all the corners and like it's got an amazing sound design. But unfortunately, that doesn't translate to home viewing very well. And we don't have surround sound hooked up in our house. So I just went ahead and and turned on the closed captioning so that I could fully see and hear the dialogue. And then they did actually touch on the fact that their religion is based in Judeo-Christianity, which is why they didn't want Ripley around the general population because they didn't want to disturb things. They didn't want to um, resurface any uh, old sin or sexual desire the men have had because, I mean, they haven't seen a, a woman in decades, probably, even though they did make her look as androgynous as possible by having her shave her head and wear clothing that wasn't like, it wasn't revealing, you know, it was actually kind of modest, kind of androgynous. It didn't like show off her figure per se, the costume design in that I kind of appreciated actually because they didn't make her look like an overly sexual object amongst the prison population so it wasn't like dangling a carrot she was pretty much dressed just like they were she had her head shaped just like they were but still like you can see which goes back to the human nature thing that it still triggered something with them and they still try to attack her they you know still try to hurt her And she still disturbed the order of things just by existing because they knew that she was a woman. Those guys ended up paying for it in the end. And then, you know, when she did die, you know, she died with her arms stretched out, just like Jesus on the cross and fell backward, did the backwards nest he plunge. (laughs) You know, and I, I did have that realization when I was watching the movie. She shows up, they nurse her back to health, and she brings all of these problems to the ship and then there's just a handful of people left i wonder whether the fact that it's not a clear parallel with the judeo-christian storyline whether that suggests that this is yet another element of the film that was badly mixed in sort of along with like is it a mining colony is it a prison planet is it a monastic order is this a Christ narrative? I think that there is some parallel with this was somehow a weird little Garden of Eden and then you bring in an outsider who introduces new knowledge. Is Ripley Eve? Is Newt Lilith? You could try to go go into all of that. But then the fact that Ripley then becomes this Christ figure and then the next chapter we get alien resurrection. I think there's not a clear parallel, but there is a clear mood established. The music, for instance, very much evokes the sound of a Catholic mass. There's a lot of choral music in this and almost none in the other Alien films. So I think they're definitely trying to create that mood or that sense of significance, but I feel like the parallels aren't quite strong enough or well enough thought out for it to have any kind of impact in the way that Prometheus really does. And that when we get to Prometheus, the parallels with the in the beginning story and with the garden in Prometheus, it's very clear. And here it's kind of a mess of imagery trying to evoke something. 
and you know they even touch on that in resurrection too in the scene where ripley is sitting there with call and call crosses herself and ripley's like they programmed that into you (laughs) (laughs) i thought that was a funny scene (laughs) this is the first alien film that uses cgi effect for the alien you know in in previous films it's a person in a suit or it's puppets being moved around and for this one there is some cgi when the lead cools over the alien's head and the head explodes that is cgi but they also tried another special effect which does not work well on the home video digital version of alien 3 i wonder if it looked good in the theater for the scenes where you can see the entire alien they decided that it would look too much like a person in a suit to capture them head to toe and if they're not upright. And they wanted to get a puma-like feeling for the creature. So they built a puppet that works on rods and they filmed it in front of a blue screen and then rotoscoped it into the film. And there are only a few shots where you can see this, like where you see the whole alien down at the end of the tunnel before it starts chasing the prisoners, which the chase scenes in this actually... I think are one of the high points of the film, the, you know, GoPro alien vision (laughs) in the chase scenes. But when you do see the alien in the tunnel, and at least in the digital version, you can tell that it's not real. And I think in terms of your thought, Rosie, about why is it that this film is not very scary, I think in some part it's because there are moments when it should be scary and instead your brain tells you it's not real. The original Alien, it looked real. It was metallic and slimy and drippy, but it looked like a real thing. And this film starts us down the path towards more CGI, more of these creatures not being real creatures. Yeah, I I remember, I know the exact scene that you're talking about, and I was like, And there's the beginning of CGI. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move on. We're going to talk about Alien Resurrection, the fourth film in the Alien quadrilogy. So this came out in 1997. Some notable events from the year 1997. In January, on January 20th, Bill Clinton begins his second term. In February, February 22nd, Scottish scientists announce to the world that in July of the previous year, 1996, so they, they kept it under their hats for a while. In July of 1996, they had successfully cloned a sheep, Dolly the sheep, as we all know her now. Mm-hmm. In March, March 4th, so just days after that, Bill Clinton bans federal funding for any research on human cloning. On March 24th at the 69th Academy Awards, the English patient wins best picture. March 24th through 26th, following the appearance of the Hale-Bopp comet, a comet that had only been discovered a year or two before, 39 members of the Heaven's Gate cult commit suicide. Their bodies were identically dressed, and they all had patches saying Heaven's Gate away team. They used a lot of Star Trek terminology in their doctrine, As a matter of fact, the cult still kind of exists. Their website still exists. And boy, does it look like a web page from the 1990s. (laughs) Thomas Nichols, brother of 
Star Trek actress Nichelle Nichols was one of the members of the cult who was found dead. So they had a very Star Trek, a lot of Star Trek stuff going on there. April 24th, a month later, a Pegasus rocket carries the remains of 24 people into orbit in the first ever burial in space. Among those interred are Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry and friend of H.R. Giger, Dr. Timothy Leary. April 25th, the announcement of the creation of the first human artificial chromosomes. May 7th, French filmmaker Luc Besson, who is part of the new French movement in cinema of Cinema du Look, a very colorful French style of filmmaking. His film, The Fifth Element, premieres at the Cannes Film Festival, and shortly thereafter, filmmaker Alejandro Jodorowsky and artist Mobius claim it plagiarizes their graphic novel, The Inkle, leading to a lawsuit. On May 9th, the first genetically modified three-parent baby is born. On May 11th, all you Queen's Gambit fans, IBM's Deep Blue beats chess champion Gary Kasparov to become the first artificial intelligence to defeat a grandmaster. In July, New Yorker film critic Anthony Lane gives the science fiction film Contact a negative review for being gloomy and having an odd noir look for sci-fi and creepy shadows in outdoor scene before he realized he was wearing sunglasses during the film. In September, the warship USS Yorktown's computers attempt to divide by zero, leaving the cruiser dead in the water for two hours. <laughs> in October, October 24th, Gattaca, a film about the dark side of genetic engineering, is released. It was a big year for sci-fi movies. It really was. A lot of them. November 2nd, Richard Preston's novel, The Cobra Event, about bioterrorism alarms Bill Clinton enough to look into the threat of biological weapons. And November 6th, Alien Resurrection premieres in Paris. There was a lot more CGI in this film, thanks to Blue Sky Studios, that is still actually part of the Fox family and now belongs to Disney. There are a few shots in the film that people will remember in particular that were not CGI, the basketball shot that Ripley makes where she flings the basketball over her head. That is Sigourney Weaver making that basketball shot. There All are... right, Sigourney Weaver. That's awesome. <laughs> um, she did not make it on the first try, as some rumors say she did, nor even on the 20th try, but they did capture it on camera, and they actually considered editing the shot so that you could see the full arc of the ball because the way it is in the film, the ball disappears, making you think that there's someone else on the other end dropping dropping the ball in. But actually she made the shot, which when I read that, I was like, no way, but very cool. This is the first installment of the Alien franchise that was filmed outside of England. And it was competing for space with Titanic and Jurassic Park, The Lost World. And they had a few interesting shots that they had to negotiate in their new studio space. The underwater scene was actually shot first and they had to build a studio with a huge tank. Um, the tank measured 36 by 45 meters. It was four and a half meters deep and contained five 148,000 gallons of water. 
kind of an expensive project. <laughs> the film only ended up grossing $161 million worldwide. $113 million of that was international gross. Its domestic gross was only $47.8 million. So for all intents and purposes, this film was a major flop, despite being a relatively ambitious project. I'm glad you mentioned The Fifth Element because the director of this film I think of as sharing a lot in common with Luc Besson. The director, Jean-Pierre Jeunet, specializes in fanciful genre benders. And up until this point in his career, he had made notable films like Delicatessen, which is a post-apocalyptic dark comedy, and The City of Lost Children, about a guy who steals children's dreams because he hopes it will keep him young. Alien Resurrection was his next film after that. Then he went on to make Amelie. So, and the World War I romance, a very long engagement. I actually see this film as not quite fitting in with the rest of his oeuvre, but the fanciful nature of some of the plot points, which I hope we get to, maybe has a little bit to do with this director's style. However, most notably, this film was written by Joss Whedon, which I think is going to be a surprise to most people considering what a mess Alien Resurrection is and how successful and what a great storyteller and sci-fi mind Joss Whedon turned out to be. At the time, Joss Whedon's only major credit was Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Toy Story, but of course he went on to work on other major sci-fi hits like Firefly and The Avengers. People wondered what happened, basically. He said that they actually followed his script fairly faithfully, but they did everything badly or wrong. <laughs> so, um, but I was, I was surprised to hear that, that, uh, that the actual storyline and the screenplay is pretty faithful to Joss Whedon's vision. After the letdown that was Alien 3, I was hoping that they would get the series back on track with this. I was a fan of Joss Whedon already at that time. I was a big Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. I was also a fan of the director, Delicatessen, I loved, but I really loved City of Lost Children. We went back and saw that in the theater three or four times, my friends and I. When I heard that he was going to be in this and he was bringing some of the cast, he brought in Dominic and Ron Perlman, who also had been doing a lot of these really cool foreign genre films like Kronos, the first film by Guillermo del Toro. And then he was in City of Lost Children. And I really liked Ron Perlman. So for the first time, there was a cast member I was excited about the way I had been excited about Lance Henriksen and Harry Dean Stanton. I was a big fan of Cinema Du Look already. Cinema Du Look, for those that don't know, is a French genre that was inspired by a lot of these directors got cut their teeth on music videos and commercials. And despite what I said about music videos making terrible directors, in France, where filmmaking is about mise-en-scene and like a different sort of way of telling stories, these directors came in, they brought in strong thriller type storylines, but with really beautiful visuals. So Diva, Subway, the example that most people are familiar with are La Femme Nikita and Amelie. So I was super excited. And then I saw the film. And I don't know if maybe Jean-Pierre Genet wasn't 
fluent in English, maybe. I don't know. This is something I often see with directors who are directing not in their native language. So maybe that's the cause of it. I don't know. Maybe it's a too many cooks kind of situation like with Alien 3. Or maybe it's just that Joss Whedon's style and Jean-Pierre Genet's style are so different. Whatever the case is, this is a mess. And to be fair, it's pretty good for the first hour. Again, I watched the extended cut of this. The last half hour, oh my God, does it turn into a mess. It was uh, interesting to see the new version of Ripley who looked different, dressed different, obviously had a different genetic makeup as we discovered in the film. Somehow her DNA was fused with the alien's DNA at this part and she, you know, was left to decide and make this moral choice as to, you know, who she was going to be loyal to. And when you first start watching the film, knowing, of course, the alien is not going to touch her. So that's not really scary. The scary part is what is the alien going to do to the people that are on the ship? How the hell are they going to get out of this mess? When I first started watching it, my question was, does this mean that she's the good guy or the bad guy? You just kind of start watching everything she does. Like, is she going to turn on these guys or is she going to use this situation to her advantage and get out of it? There were a lot of typical things in the film. Ron Perlman's character was the typical machismo guy that thinks that he could just sleep with any woman that walks in front of him. And he's just big Billy badass. And I didn't really care for his character very much. I mean, we've seen that kind of character in so many films. It's just so played out the, you know, the misogynistic beefcake that thinks that he's indestructible, which, you know, obviously he wasn't. I also want to talk about uh, Gary Dorden. I did had no idea he was in that film. I was a huge fan of his on CSI. So it was kind of neat to see him in something that wasn't CSI. And I forgot how much I missed him as an actor because I thought he was really good. I don't know. I'm just kind of talking all over the place. There are just so many differences in the uh, Ripley we saw in Alien 3 and the Ripley that we saw in Alien Resurrection. I mean, with this new genetic makeup she has, suddenly her nails are painted now. <laughs> You know, where before she was like all natural, head shaved, kind of androgynous. This time, you know, she's like part alien. You just kind of see her character kind of redevelop because you don't know what she's going to be. You don't know if she's going to be more human or more alien. You don't know if she's going to have a regular thought process or if she's just been so scarred from coming back to life over the centuries if she's even going to have a personality at all but it is interesting to see the character develop and and it was actually good to see one of the writer in a film i did like her character the plot twist with her being a synthetic was interesting and and i feel like ripley kind of likes the synthetics more than she likes actual humans which is kind of relatable too I know I've seen this film a couple times, but it's been, you know, at least 10 years since the last time I saw it. And I remembered it being much better. I was very disappointed going back to revisit it. You know, sometimes more is more and sometimes less is more. And I think in the case of Alien, less is more. When you see all of the anxieties established in the earlier films play out and actually happen in a big way, it really doesn't work. It's not scary and it's just too much of an overload in terms of the gore, in terms of the elements of fear they're trying to introduce, and in terms of 
some of the broader themes, like the motherhood theme that runs through aliens and and even alien cubed a little bit. But in, in this one, the, the motherhood theme was played up way too high, should never be dialed up to 11 in this series. I mean, it's kind of an interesting concept to take the thing that Ripley is afraid of happening in the first three films, this terror of the corporation's going to get a hold of this creature. They're not going to understand how it works. They're going to try to develop a weapon. And eventually that weapon's going to make it to Earth and kill everyone. And this film just sort of imagines like, okay, so rather than that being a threat of something that's going to happen, let's just do it. <laughs> like, let's just start where that's the premise, that they finally succeed at this thing that we've been afraid of for the first three films. And they obviously can't let it actually happen. So without that fear of, oh my gosh, you know, like, what if this falls into the wrong hands? What if they don't kill it this time? That's kind of missing. I mean, it gets to be a laugh line in the film when they say, you know, oh, it's going back to its to our home docking base. Where's that? Earth. You know, that, you know it's, <laughs> of course it's Earth. And then in the film, he's it's Ron Perlman, right? Who says, oh, God, I'd rather die here on the on the ship. Earth, what a shithole. <laughs> so I think that you, you hit on what I think is one of the biggest problems with this film. The tone is to totally screwed up. There's a lot of attempts at humor that just don't work. In the very beginning of the special edition, a guy crushes a, this, there's this alien face and it ends up being a bug that he crushes. And like, what was the point of that? And um, was that bug an alien? You know, <laughs> I don't know. Also, a lot of the attempts at humor fall completely flat or are cringy and stuff like you know her being afraid in this you don't you're like she seems to not care if it gets to earth you know she doesn't really care about humans that much they talk about how earth is a shithole and and then in the special edition anyway we actually see it at the end in a scene that looks very much like um i think it's an homage to la jetty um, it looks like the destroyed Paris of La Jetie, which is a French science fiction film, an early French science fiction film. But a lot of the humor doesn't really work. And some of that is lines that probably were written in by Joss Whedon. When it does work, it kind of works. Um, Ron Perlman's character to me seems like the forerunner or blueprint for Jane in the um, Firefly series. I mean, you could take Jane from Firefly and put him into this movie instead of Ron Perlman. And it would be exactly the same, but other times it just doesn't work. Like when they're crashing. Oh yeah. Speaking of the ending where all things are really weird. Like when they're about to crash on earth and they're all like screaming and then they like pause to talk about it. And then they go back to screaming. <laughs> yeah, no, that didn't really work for me. Um, <laughs> did, did, did you guys both watch the special edition or did I don't think so I I watched the version that's on HBO and may not be on HBO forever now that um Disney I guess owns all these films but um the version I watched ends with them about to crash and like there's this beautiful sunburst and you know like it's the clouds and it's almost like a going to heaven imagery I mean just speaking of the you know Christ storyline that we were sort of tracing from Alien 3 into this film that the film, uh, the version I watched ends with, you know, 
Christ returning to heaven in this case, you know, Ripley, I guess, as a reborn Christ figure and the the her counterpart, the the creature that is born out of the alien queen that is now a human alien hybrid is like an antichrist basically and that we have christ and antichrist fighting together and christ wins and they all go to heaven in the end hooray (laughs) a quick tip for those that might want to see this on hbo both special editions are on hbo max but they're easy to miss you have to go to the actual regular edition and then scroll down If you just hit play, you're going to see the regular editions. They are considered special features on the, um, they're extras. So you got to go to the title page of that movie and find its extras. And then you can see the special editions for Alien 3 and and Alien Resurrection. In the special edition, they actually crash and there's an explosion. And then it cuts back to them being on the ship and still about to crash. So it's really like it was tacked on like they didn't even attempt to edit it back in other things that didn't work for me as far as the the humor goes is they cast dan hedaya who people might remember as carla's husband from cheers as the general and he did not give off general vibes to me he was just (laughs) you know kind of like i'm like really you're gonna have the tortellis guy as like the general on this this and let's not forget that that the pirates themselves this happy-go-lucky crew of pirates are supposed to empathize with or something and the whole thing they're doing is human trafficking right like that's the premise of this and i'm like these are your heroes oh my god there's so many things i don't like about this and then toward the Mm -hmm. end everything goes out the window where it's like ripley your gift to the alien since it was came out of you is that it has an a human reproductive system and it's going to give birth the regular way rather than have a face hugger implant something really who got it pregnant you know i'm like there's so many yeah. things in this at one point she gets hit by the acid blood on her hand and flings it against a window on the ship and then that burns a hole in the window and the alien gets sucked out never mind that anything could have gotten sucked against that window but somehow it's the alien and it all get sucked through that tiny hole, which to me seems a little bit really weird. But on top Mm -hmm. of that, she had the alien blood on her hand and it wasn't burning through her hand, but it's going to burn through the window. That was her. I thought that was her blood that she, she got a cut and that that red blood is her blood that she then flung against the window. Okay. That still doesn't make sense. Her blood is now acid. Yeah, no. Cause we see that a couple times in the beginning too, that her blood is now acid she uses it to short circuit some wires earlier oh in the yeah film yeah yeah mm-hmm. and she's got acid that's like her, the alien's gift to her she gets you know super basketball powers and acid for blood <laughs> how wait how did she get this i mean they 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 birthed her from like they cloned her basically right Yeah, but the idea is that they weren't able to get a clean sample of her DNA, that the samples of DNA that they have of her are a mix of her DNA and the alien DNA. And so then when she goes into that horror show of a laboratory with all of the versions of the elephant man in glass, like (laughs) like, those are all failed attempts to do what she is the success version of. And that, I mean, actually just as a, general side note one of the things that doesn't work about this film and i also feel didn't work in alien 3 is 
the it it is not scary but it is horrifying like constant horror and that the you know the gore is really repulsive and it had me looking away from the screen in a way that I don't like to look away from I like to you know like hide my eyes in terror because I don't want to like I'm so scared I don't want to see it like I still haven't seen the leather contraption that the killer wears in seven went for lust I have still not actually seen it because every time I get to that part I'm like I don't I don't want to know so and I'm, (laughs) I'm guessing you're not a big fan of David Cronenberg oh no I love David Cronenberg but it's like um oh gosh the one where Jeremy Irons plays twin gynecologists is one of my favorites um I'm not gonna remember the name of the film right now but oh it's fantastic you know, I get the characters are supposed to grow and change, but to me, it just didn't work. Okay, I guess they cloned her and they bring her back and she doesn't even know who Nude is anymore and all of that. But Ripley doesn't act like Ripley. Like we said, mm-hmm. she doesn't care if the humans die. Call, who is a synthetic, doesn't act like a synthetic. The alien doesn't act like an alien. Every character is wrong in this, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Everything, and it just doesn't work. It oh i the more i think about the film the more i don't like it you know (laughs) (laughs) i don't i guess i've reached the end of my rope on this because i could keep nitpicking at it but there's so many things i don't like about this movie that it would be pointless to go into all of them much like alien 3 i think that they had some good ideas i think that what could have made this good and could have made alien 3 good is just not had ripley in it Make it another story in the aliens universe. Mm-hmm. You know, do the Rogue One thing. Make these films without Ripley, and they exist in the same universe, but they aren't part of Ripley's story. Because to me, Ripley's story really ends with aliens. I want to pretend that these last two films don't exist. So it's actually funny that you mentioned that because Joss Whedon's original script did not have Ripley in it because they assumed that Sigourney Weaver wouldn't do another one that, you know, she wouldn't be interested. But after he wrote the script and sort of wrote this world where they've succeeded at making the alien into some kind of bioweapon and that the Ripley character, whoever, whoever it was going to be, was going to get to do something different than the other versions of like hiding in tunnels, waiting for the alien to come get you. That at least in this version, you know, Ripley gets to be a more active character. And so after reading Joss Whedon's script, she decided she wanted to be on board. And so he had to quick, like, rewrite the beginning in order to make it Ripley and, you know, make some some edits to the character. But it it was originally supposed to be a different person, different storyline. Okay, so final thoughts, thumbs up or thumbs down on Alien 3? I'm going to give it a thumbs up. I I liked it. I'm, I'm going to give it a thumbs up if you go in with low expectations for the special effects, which, you know, is sad to say because it's one of the main highlights of the first two in the franchise. But if if you aren't there for the special effects and you're you're there to see some really interesting camera work and Charles Dance, who actually is great, um, thumbs up for Alien 3. I think that both of these, the CGI is bad because it's so primitive. 
a lot of early CGI looks very um, smooth because they hadn't gotten to the fine detail yet. And still today, low budget CGI in video games and in movies looks overly smooth. This works for them in the underwater scene in Alien Resurrection because everything kind of looks smooth underwater. So that scene really works. But other than that, the CGI doesn't work in either of these films for me. In general, for Alien 3, I'll say thumbs up, but go into it thinking of it as an alternate universe. Do not think of it as the end for Newt, Hicks, and Ripley. Alien Resurrection, thumbs up or thumbs down, Rosie? I'm going to say thumbs down. It wasn't that great. It was kind of like a hot mess version of Alien. There are just too many things that didn't make sense that didn't really connect for me. There were characters in there that I just didn't really care for that seemed too typical and too much like a caricature of so many other, you know, sci-fi action films that I just, I couldn't fully ever get on board with the film. So I'm going to have to give it a thumbs down. I'm also going to give it a thumbs down. And for reasons that are not typical for me, I usually love films that are campy. I love performances that are scenery eating. I love things that are too much, but with this, it was too much. Just as an example, you know, it was going to be even more. Originally, when they shot the film, the alien-human hybrid that the queen births had genitals, had like very prominent genitals that were a mix of male and female human genitalia. And after they watched the cut of the film, the director agreed like, yeah, that was too much. And so they scrubbed that with CGI in post. But like, that's as much as they were able to pull back. They just decided like, you know what? We're not going to have a penis on screen. <laughs> like, you know, we'll we'll scrub that out in post. And that's as, that's as much as they were able to dial it back. And otherwise, it is just too much of everything and consequently no real substance. I, of course, am also going to give this a thumbs down. My recommendation is if you have the ability and you will have the interest, pick any scene from this movie's first hour just to see Winona Ryder and her performances call the French actor Dominique Pignon as Dom and Ron Perlman, who plays Jonner. Those three are worth seeing just to get a flavor of what they brought to it. And then that's it. Yeah, maybe just the scene on the basketball court, in fact. Just that yeah. one scene. <laughs> yeah, that would be yeah, a good that, one. That was a good scene, actually, yeah. <laughs> that would be a good thing. So watch the, the basketball scene if you can find it, and then don't watch the rest of it. Anything else you want to plug before we go, Johanna? Just since we talked a lot about David Fincher, his new film, Mank, is out on Netflix, starring the love of my life, Gary Oldman. <laughs> as Mankiewicz, the screenwriter behind Citizen Kane. Great film, especially if you like Fincher, especially, especially if you like Gary Oldman. So highly recommend it. Help us get this show out there and heard by more people. Go to the iTunes store, like it, review it, give it five stars. We would be very, very grateful if you did that. If you want to tell us anything, like how bad our French pronunciation is, which I'm sure was terrible, you can do that. <laughs> by emailing us at gc8podcast. That's letter G, letter C, number eight, podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Eric. This is Rosie. This is Johanna. Signing off.
as I said earlier, we're doing Halloween three. Sorry, <laughs> <Guys>. <laughs> I got Halloween on the brain.